Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Candace Robb has turned a passion for medieval history into two best-selling crime series, one with a feisty female sleuth, but both staying true to the period while delivering addictive storytelling. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and today Candace talks about her love affair with the city of York, academic history, and how she secured a top writer as her early mentor. But before we talk to Candace, just a reminder, the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find a full transcript of our chat, plus links to Candace's books and website, as well as details about how to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Candace. Hello there, Candace, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. It's great to be with you, Jenny. Now, beginning at the beginning, was there a once upon a time moment when you decided you had to write fiction or your life would be the poorer for it? And if there was, was there a catalyst of some sort? You know, I, as far as my parents have told me, I was always a storyteller. And I think what really began my career in telling stories and plotting devious twists was, as a kid, I lived in a neighborhood with loads of kids my age and around my age, and we would play act all the time. We would put on, you know, the way we played was in our imaginations, and we'd be Davy Crockett or we'd be Daniel Boone and we'd have all these characters because everybody needed to be involved. And I was sort of the plot master of all that. <laughs> I was the one who came up with the stories and made sure that there were extra characters. And And my mother would tell me after I was telling her stories, because I used to love to walk around in a circle in the room where she sewed. And just tell her these stories. I would just elaborate on a fairy tale I'd heard or a history. And she'd say, Candace, you are going to get in trouble for storytelling one of these days. <laughs> well, it sounds as if you've been in training a very long time, but you haven't got into trouble because of it. <laughs> no, no. And she, you know, I, told, I reminded her of that when she was so proud of my first book coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you were born in North Carolina, you grew up in Cincinnati, and now you live in Seattle, but you developed a passion for medieval England and the city of York in particular. How did that love affair come about? The moment I stepped into York, I was in graduate school studying medieval literature and history, and I walked into York and I was smitten. I think it chose me, actually. I think the city of York chose me as a storyteller to tell its story. That's amazing. Do you know if you've got any family links going back there at all? Is there anything that would... 
I doubt it. I very much doubt it because actually my background is um, is Polish, almost entirely Polish. Minna, I was just going to say, I know the city so well. I've spent so much time there and it just feels like yeah. a second home. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, certainly there is a very warm feeling that comes through in the books for York. And we will talk a little bit later on about you. where you'd tell people to go if they were going to be visiting York. You'd be a very good guide, I'm sure. I think I would. (laughs) (laughs) So you've now got three historical series to your credit. There's 10 Owen Archer books now, is there? The number 11 coming soon? Or is number 11? Yeah, then there's three Kate Cliffords. And actually, the third Kate Clifford isn't out until September. Oh, okay. Right, okay. And then there's two Margaret Kerrs. Right, three of them. No, three of them. Three of them now, mm-hmm. sorry, I hadn't quite caught up with the last one. So we could assume that you do enjoy writing in series, and I wonder what it is that is so appealing to a writer about series. You know, I think in a series, you have this time, the span of time, and many different stories in which to develop the characters to watch them over time, like in, in my Owen Archer series, I have a brother, Michaelo, who is who is a villain in the first book. And yet, over time, he turns into this very sympathetic character quite naturally. And I don't think it would be difficult to do that with a minor character in one book. Yes. And I love that. I love not only that, but the characters eventually become so much a part of my psyche that when I'm thinking of the next story, they will often come up with the story for me. It's just unnatural to think, oh, you know, this is a moment for Jasper to start working with Owen or something like that. Yeah, fabulous. Yes. Yeah. It's it's just a very warm way to work. That's how it feels to me as an author, a very warm community in which I'm working. Yes, yeah. Now, both the Owen Archer and Kate Clifford series are crime mysteries. I wonder what attracted you to that mystery genre? At first, I I did not intend to write crime novels. I wanted to write um, historical novels, but I didn't really want to write about the most famous of the people. I didn't want to write about kings and queens. And I tried my hand at a novel that eventually turned into The Apothecary Rose after several agents' readers said, this needs to be in some sort of genre with some sort of hook. And you could do a romance, which I did not want to do. I didn't really think I could pull that off. Or you could do mysteries. So I I read a few mysteries and I read about mysteries and I thought that sounds fascinating because you've got this plot you've got this this structure something happens the community is in chaos your sleuth needs to solve it before more chaos occurs and sort of save the day um, as best they can and that really appealed to me especially since you know, I had that childhood of being the master plotter. So plotters, plots are a lot of fun for me. Yes, yes. 
Um, and in a recent blog, you said that you remember the day that Kate auditioned <laughs> for the role of New Seat Sleuth in the second series. Can you tell us a bit about that day? Oh, that was so, it was, I had had a conversation in the afternoon with my agent about what next. And we both thought that it was, I had just finished, um, let's see, a triple knot. Yeah. And so I had done my two standalones and I'd been away from crime for a while and I really wanted to return to it. And so we talked a little bit and she said, well, come up with a couple of ideas and when you have them, call me back. And so I had a nap with my cat and this woman just appeared walking down Stonegate. She was tall and had wiry dark hair lots of dark hair and she was flanked by these irish wolfhounds these huge dogs and you know the streets are you if you have been in york the streets are narrow although stone gates one of the wider ones because that was the street of the goldsmiths and she's walking but it's you know it would be an imposing trio to see on the street and I know somehow in this vision that beneath her skirts, she has hidden a small battle axe and a knife at her side. And she's striding with purpose around the corner into Petergate to the door of a guest house. And this elderly woman opens it and opens the door. And she clearly is de deferring to this young woman with the dogs as her boss, as her mistress, and there she was. And I thought, I have to know who this young woman is. And that's how she auditioned. When I told my agent about her, she said, oh my God, I love her. She's got a battle ax hidden in her skirts. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty well how she appears on the pages of the novel too, isn't it? I think so. I mean, she didn't, yeah, at first, you know, I, I asked her if we could do away with the dogs because I thought, oh, this is complicated to have these dogs in the story. But no, she said, the dogs are nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and she just sort of came to me, you know, Right there, I had I had the beginning of her story. That's wonderful. She is a great lead character. She's feisty and independent. And there has been a little bit of comment online from people who say, well, woman just couldn't have been like that in that period. It's just not realistic. But I choose to believe quite the opposite, that history is a lot more complicated than what we have sometimes been led to believe, isn't it? Oh, it is. And, you know, we've been told because the records show so much more about men, that the women were very passive, that they were in the background. And yet, when you look at court records, the women are all over the place and they're doing all sorts of incredible things. So you just have to know where to look. And I notice on your blog, you actually do have quite a lot of interesting items about history that's being published and unearthed now. And I wonder, is there more actually also that is emerging about women in that period as well? Oh, yes. 
it's since I first published back in 93, so much more has been published about women that I have so many more choices for the types of women I might be writing about. I have more detail about what their lives might have been like. And it's been quite amazing. I mean, in that time, just the ability to interact with a lot more historians online and get more information from them almost immediately when I need it has has really helped. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Now, you are a qualified academic historian. Right. So I'm sure that getting the history is right as well for you. But... Um, where does fact end and fiction begin for you? And, and do you sometimes fudge things a little for the sake of the story? How many of your characters are real people? That changes with each story. But um, the, my main characters and my crime novels are fictional. But they're always based on stories that I've read. So bits and pieces, I've put together bits and pieces of a of a woman's life to create Kate Clifford. And I've done the same thing with Owen Archer and with Maggie Carr. So that I'm, it, it's, a, it's a combination of stories. But I also love to use real historical figures like Kate's um, cousin, William Frost, who um, in the third book is, is um, finally mayor of York. He's a real character, and uh, he was a real historical figure, and that was why I gave her um, him as a relative, because he has a very interesting history, and it's fun to connect the dots. But we don't know lots of personal things about these people. We don't know how they felt. So you're really connecting the dots with creating a personality to whom these things might have happened in this order. Yeah, and I think, is the Archbishop in Owen Archer also based on a, yes. a historical person? Yes. Yes, he is. And he was, to me, uh, one of the revelations because he, he was a very political man, and yet he was also a very good Archbishop and really cared about, about his flock. And uh, I didn't understand that at first, so I sort of had to gently shift his character <laughs> as I went through the series to make him slightly more tolerable <laughs> because he was a wonderful foil for Owen and yet I I needed to be true to who John Thorsby actually was. Yes I imagine in that period that you couldn't be an archbishop and not be political you wouldn't last long in the job probably <laughs> no and especially you know in, in York because they he was sort of the the north was the the border the protection between the king in London and Westminster and and Scotland and there was still a lot of violence um, at the borders. And so all of the bishops in the North were very powerful and strong people. Yes, I see that at the beginning of the opening of Vigil of Spies that you um, talk about the worry that Scotland might decide with the king 
ill that it might be a good time to invade. There obviously was a lot of political yes. instability. Yes, and um, that's just fodder, you know, for a for a crime writer. <laughs> Absolutely. Perhaps moving away a little from the specific book series series focus, you you mentioned you've written some standalone novels and. You wrote, you wrote those under another name, Emma Campion. How did they come about and why did you feel you needed to write them under a different well, name? I'll answer first. I did not choose to write to create a pen name for them. That was all the marketing department at Random House in the UK. They felt they felt oh, that okay. people were going to be very confused when it wasn't a crime novel written by Candace Robb. And so they insisted on a pen name, which I really did not like. And my Italian publishers refused to change my name, which was great. So, But um, I wanted to try out the kind of novels that I thought I wanted to write in the beginning. And so after 13 crime novels, I was still wondering, oh, you know, do I really want to be more of a writer of these strong women who I've, I had researched them for the Owen Archer series. So Alice Perrers, the King's Mistress, and then Joan of Kent, the wife of the uh, Black Prince. I thought it would be really fascinating to write their stories. So I took time out from the crime series to write these two books, the kinds of books I thought I wanted to write. And they taught me how much I really love writing crime fiction. <laughs> Part of the reason was that these were about women in the royal court, and their lives were so restricted relative to the merchants that I have, the women who, you know, are healers, all of these everyday people in in my crime novels. And I really got bored with the court, the royal court. And I thought, well, there you go. Now I know. <laughs> I'm very happy to have written the novels. I loved some of the deep research I needed to do about the Hundred Years' War and things like that, that I don't get to use quite so much of in the crime novels. But I'm really happy to be back <laughs> writing crime novels. <laughs> You've got that itch out of your system. <laughs> I did. And, you know, it's good. It's good that I took that risk and, and tried it out. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me, is there one thing you've done in your writing career more than any other that's been the secret to your success? When I listen to my, my readers, it seems to be that I develop characters which, with so much backstory and so much development that people begin to see them as real people and want to follow their stories through many books. And I think that's something that um, I wasn't aware of, but I've had other writers tell me, oh, you know, you gave me that idea to really show, um, for example, in the Owen Archer series, which was my first series, how a marriage develops and how they it goes on and they have children and they have this whole family life as well as solving crimes. And readers seem to really love that. And I think it really helped also to set the books in New York because 
people love York. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially medieval York, you know. So that really helped too. <laughs> yes, it's great that it doesn't just end with the romance being consummated, isn't it? It's uh... Yeah. I, I've, I've had people say, oh, you married them off too quickly. <laughs> but, you know, I just, that wasn't the way it was going to happen. Now with Kate, Kate has a lot more romantic adventures, <laughs> romantic tension. Yes, that's right. I'm, I'm quite interested in where she's going to end up. <laughs> well, I won't tell you. <laughs> oh, no, no, we don't want to spoil it for the readers. That's right. So what do you think the secret of a good historical mystery is? And have you seen a growing interest in this area over the period that you've been writing them? I think that a, a good historical mystery... I think that the writer of a historical mystery needs to be very steeped in the period so that the stories come out of what might have happened, what would have been the danger, what were the politics, what were the um, what were the typical crimes of the time. You don't know that until you've really studied the period and and the location, I think, as well. Yeah. yeah. So to me, I think that's really important. Yes. yes. And you mentioned location. Um, I do like to ask, I mean, people, when they get into a series like yours, often feel quite an identification with the place. And I'm thinking if your readers were going to want to go on a magical mystery literary tour of York, using your <laughs> books as a, as a sort of a, a, a guide, where would you suggest people go? Well, of course, York itself yes. and um, the big the big things to see in York. Well, I have a lot of readers who follow my husband's maps because <laughs> he does the maps yes. for my books and they're quite accurate. So, But you want to see York Minster um, and the Undercroft as well because there's wonderful, they've done a wonderful job of history down there. And you want to um, see the shambles because it's that wonderful narrow street that gives you such an idea of what it would have, the crowding would have been like. Um, the Merchant Adventures Hall is a wonderful medieval hall, and of course, walking the walls gives you such a sense of of the old city and then the countryside around it. And then you have to get up into the dales and up on the moors. And uh, the Rydell Folk Museum is really a good place. It's an outdoor museum with different structures from different periods of history. Raveau Abbey, Fountains Abbey. I mean, there's just yes. so much. I yes. love it there. Whitby Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of abbeys. <laughs> Look, you know it so well that it did occur to me that it would be wonderful to have, like, an official guide. I don't know if you're aware of Lindsay Davis and her ancient Rome series. And then she wrote Falco, the official guide, which gave you the whole background to what emperor lived in what, what book and, you know, what they got up to, that kind of thing. And I thought you've done so much now with York that it would be great to have an official guide. Have you ever thought about doing something like that? I've thought about it and it's a lot of oh, work. Huge amount but of work. I have yeah. I have two friends now in York who I'm I'm actually thinking about approaching about maybe we could they're both very busy though just like me so but the three of us could really do a job with that so. 
Yeah. Maybe one of these days. <laughs> they, they reckon that collaboration is the big new thing for writers, so I think that sounds like a great idea. Well, and they have different, you know, the three of us have different talents, and uh, I think that uh, I think it could really work, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Turning now to Candice as a reader, you know, we, we call this podcast The Joys of Binge Reading, and once people get mm. into a series, they like to go right through the whole lot. Have you been a binge reader in the past? And if so, who have you liked to read? Um, well, currently I'm, I'm making my way through um, Craig Johnson's uh-huh. Longmire series. I, uh, I love that series. And, um, and Donna Leone, mm-hmm. I've kept up with her books, mm-hmm. her books set in Venice. I just love mm-hmm. those books. And let me see, who else am I? At the moment, what I'm actually binge reading is Ursula Le Guin because of her recent death. And she was one of my mentors. And I just decided to go back and reread a lot of Ursula Le Guin. So I'm on the Earthsea trilogy right now, which um, actually is more than three books. Um, that Yeah. So how did she become one of your mentors? How did that? Back in... Um, Oh, a long, long time ago, before I was published, <laughs> I I attended a three week writers workshop, and she was the teacher the third week, and it was a science fiction and fantasy workshop because that's what I started writing, um, and I had decided that this was the workshop in which I was going to find out from the teachers whether I really could be a writer, or I should just, you know, give it up. And Ursula was the one who said, you have some wonderful stories here, but let me tell you that when you shine is whenever there is a medieval history background in the story. And she encouraged me to focus on that, to focus on medieval history. And had some very good arguments about that, that it just felt almost as if it had chosen me the way it, the way I wrote it. And um, when Ursula Le Guin tells you to focus on something, you do. But she was very encouraging. And um, years later, and we kept in touch, and years later, I was doing an event, and, and she and her husband Charles showed up, and she was just so proud of me. And I just, I hadn't even realized that she was following my career. It just meant the world to me because she's one of my idols. Yeah, that's a very (laughs) special story. And it's interesting that she obviously had an intuition for what was working best, didn't she? Well, more than an intuition, just that deep writerly instinct. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and there are people who who just have that. I mean, I've met editors and... uh, and my actually my current agent, who are just really good at that, at zeroing in on something and saying, "Here, this is what it, this is what's exciting you." That's a real gift. At this stage in your career, if you were doing it all again, is there anything that you'd change, or are you pretty happy with the way it's unfolded? It sounds, in a way, as if you have that feeling that it chose you, and so it was all rather inevitable. But Tell us about that. Is is it anything you change? Oh, I don't. I don't know. I um, there are times when I think that I 
I should not have veered off the crime novels and um, should just have stayed with them. But I learned so much in that time when I was researching something quite different. And no, I don't really think that I would change anything. I wish that I had appreciated how much I loved what I was doing from the very beginning. But I kept thinking, oh, this isn't really what I wanted to do. Do you think that it might have been, was there ever that little bit of a feeling from having been an academic that you should be writing something more literary, literary fiction? Well, I think maybe that was part of the, part of my almost um, perhaps a little embarrassment about writing mysteries. And then I just, but I quickly dropped that idea because so many of the crime writers like P.D. James, mm-hmm. um, yes. Colin Dexter, are such good writers. And I thought, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not that the genre is not literary. It's just the, it's some yes. silly idea yeah. about what genres are and that they're inferior. But I, ne- I have never regretted. I go to several academic conferences regularly and see friends I knew in graduate school. And we all agree oh, that's that great. I've had the best career of them all. <laughs> because I get to choose. I get to choose what I want to focus on and dive in <laughs> and I don't have to do all the teaching and the committee work. So what is next for Candace the writer? What projects have you got under development at the moment? Oh, well, I'm writing The Eleventh Owen Archer, um, A Ruler of Wolves, and so, and I'm about to get the edit of the third Kate Clifford back from my editor, and that one's called A Murdered Peace. So that one will come out in September. I'm not sure when um, The Owen Archer will come out. And just the other day, I came up with the plot for The Twelfth Owen Archer, so I have a feeling that I'm just going to do two Owen Archers in a row right now. (laughs) You were finishing 11 and the plot for 12 just kind of surfaced for you. Is that how it worked? Yes, yes. And and I thought, well, I even have a title for it, but I won't tell you because I have a, it's one of those titles I have a feeling my editors are going to say, (laughs) oh, that doesn't sound like a mystery. (laughs) So, Gandis, we're coming to the end of our time together. Where can readers find you online? Um, well, I have um, a blog that right now is also serving as my main um, website as I'm developing a new website. And that's at, uh, they can just go to www.candisrob.com and it will take them there. I'm um, Candice M. Rob on Twitter. Uh, because there already was a Candace Rob on Twitter when I signed on, so I had to put my middle initial in there. And um, and I also have a Candace Rob Facebook page where you and I met for the first time. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that your readers have given you a lot of feedback. Do you get feedback through that Facebook page? I get a lot of feedback through the Facebook page um, and and also on my blog and also on Twitter and um, well, the interesting thing on Facebook is that I get a lot of messages from people, you know, that, not the ones yeah. that show up on the screen. But um, Yes, yeah, the private ones, yeah. But what was a lot of fun, at, just after Christmas, I posted the first chapter of the new Owen Archer for readers, and I got so much response from that and people being so happy about it that it, 
made me feel, okay, I really am going in the right direction. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. That, yeah, it's, it's so much fun to be able to connect like yes. that. And do they make suggestions for how they want the characters to develop? Once in a while on my especially on my blog, people will ask, you know, would you do this or would you do that? And I actually, I had a lot of fun when I was, I was fighting with myself about some change, possible change in a character. And I just posted about it on my blog and I asked for reactions and I got wonderfully nuanced reactions from readers about how they would answer that. That's fantastic. And yeah, yeah, it's, um, I, you know, that's another one of the things that's so much fun about writing series is that people become very um, invested in the mm, characters. Mm, that's right. It, it's very, it's really a lovely thing. And with the technology as it is today, it really is a community, isn't it, of spirits, really? It's, um, mm. It is. I so enjoy on on my Facebook page, I, I share a lot of things that I come up with on the web, articles and news articles about new sites that have been unearthed and, you know, when Richard III's skeleton was found, all of these kinds of things. And it's so much fun yes. to have all these people who are enjoying the same thing. Yes, yeah. Well, look, it's been wonderful talking today. We are now out of time, but I do appreciate you, you giving us this time today, stepping aside from your writing for 30 minutes. It's been wonderful to catch up with you. It's been a lot of fun, Jenny. Thanks so much, Candice, and we'll watch you with great anticipation. Uh, thank you. Hope you do. Thank you, Deb. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audioservices at gmail.com. Or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right, and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.